0: You're listening to Productive Flourishing. Thanks for joining us today.
1: So my son stopped eating. And we had to do all these tests to figure out why he stopped eating. And it was like so obvious so fast that he had autism. And it was so obvious that my husband and I did too. It was like crazy. And then I looked at our two sets of grandparents, and um, and I was like, oh, well, they do, too. They have all the same answers to these questions. And I thought we were like, like everyone should be studying our family. This is crazy. We all have Asperger's. And then the tester's like, oh, yeah, it's genetic. So if you have a kid with Asperger's, you always have a parent with Asperger's. It's just that it's um, very hard to tell a parent not only does their kid have autism, but you do, too, when the parents been thinking they're normal their
0: whole lives. That was Penelope Trunk, the founder of four startups who's been named one of the top 10 most influential women in tech by TechCrunch and the world's most influential career coach by Inc. Magazine. She was diagnosed with Asperger's when she was 37, and she joins me today to discuss how and why women with autism are massively underdiagnosed. We also veer into how schools aren't built to foster creativity. You might find this conversation both provocative and challenging due to the content and because conversations with people with Asperger's have a different feel to them. We discussed this towards the end of the conversation, so I really encourage you to hang on and see how we unpack that. I'm Charlie Gilkey, and this is Productive Flourishing. Welcome to Productive Flourishing, where we explore how to do the work that matters so you become your best self in the world. I'm your host, Charlie Gilkey, And I'm joined by Angela Wheeler and other guests who will share their stories, insights, wins, and challenges in the hopes that our journeys and stories will help you with yours. Now, on to the show. Hi, Penelope. Thanks so much for joining me today. Um, I've been following you for years, and so I'm really excited to have this conversation. This is actually the first time we've talked, so thanks for joining me, and um, I'm excited to see where this conversation goes.
1: Good. Thanks for having me.
0: So one of the things that I read when I was doing some research and looking into you was that um, you think that women with autism are massively underdiagnosed and that it's a national problem. And maybe it's just my own ignorance, um, but I didn't know that it was—you know—women were mass, women with autism were massively underdosed and and underdiagnosed, and that it's a national problem. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Uh,
1: Yeah. So. To show you how hard it is to diagnose women with uh, with Asperger's, um, most people who are specialists, like they diagnose people with Asperger's for a living, misdiagnosing their own daughters. That's how hard it is to see. And a part of it is because we, uh, as parents, we naturally assume that our kids are fine and um, we push back on anyone who says our kids are not fine, which is like how humans survive. But it's also because um, we have a stereotype of what it is Ted Asperger's, and women don't look like that. So the stereotype is that the um, the person is very, very, very smart and and functions like Albert Einstein, like a crazy person, or works at Google, or has a dad who's a math professor, and um, they don't have social skills, and they don't dress well, and um, they probably wear glasses and are annoying. Um, so, and, and that's what we, when we see that as a society, we're pretty good at identifying like, oh, that person has Asperger's. But girls who have, so boys who have Asperger's look like nut jobs. Girls who have Asperger's look like regular boys. Because compared to girls, regular boys uh, don't dress well. They have poor social skills. They tend to do math and science better than writing. Like, relative to normal girls, boys are kind of the the Asperger's corollary. And so what happens is you get girls who look like boys, and we, uh, we have all our, like, 1970s feminism alerts us and we say it's fine that she's good at math and science it's fine that she doesn't like girl clothes not all girls have to be like boys and we get really defensive about diagnosing that as a mental illness like a girl functioning like a boy as a mental illness we don't like that that's not pc but um the problem with that is that um the suicide rate for Asperger's is really, really high, and it's much higher for girls than boys, because girls feel loneliness much more acutely than boys do, and Asperger's is a—it's um, fundamentally a loneliness problem, and uh, so the suicide rate among girls who have Asperger's is really, really high, and um, having an eating disorder is is as much a harbinger, like as much a signpost for a girl with Asperger's as um, being two grades ahead in math is a signpost for boys with Asperger's. So the fact that the signpost for girls with Asperger's is deadly and the signpost for boys with Asperger's is like, oh, you're so smart. That's a really big problem. But we don't go around diagnosing girls with Asperger's and they only find out, um, usually in their 20s and uh, there's a really high incidence of of rape and um, eating disorders and so people tend to put those patterns together and figure it out in their 20s and 30s but meanwhile girls are getting no help
0: yeah, that's that's fat. really
1: bad, right?
0: Yeah, that that's terrible. And so that we pull everybody into the conversation, um, just with some terminology, um, just, just help us out with the distinction between autism and Aspergers.
1: Aspergers is autism with a really high IQ. So both as, both autism and Aspergers um, are people who don't read social cues; they don't understand them, and. Um, but if you have a really high IQ, you can kind of skate by because our society has places very high value on high IQ, especially in school, not so much out of school, but in school. So a lot of people with Asperger's skate by, whereas people with autism, um, they don't impress anyone with their IQ, so they just get put in special ed and
0: whatever. Fascinating. Um... You know, and prior to this interview, I didn't know that um, you actually have Asperger's. And so um, when were you diagnosed?
1: Um, I didn't know until my son got diagnosed when he was two. And he was only diagnosed because it was failure to thrive. So a really common thing for people with Asperger's is they have um, sensory processing disorders. And they don't like how things touch or feel or sound or, or uh, look. And they start doing weird things. So my son stopped eating. And we had to do all these tests to figure out why he stopped eating. And it was, like, so obvious so fast that he had autism. And it was so obvious that my husband and I did, too. It, w- it was, like, crazy. And then I looked at our two sets of grandparents, and, um, and I was like, oh, well, they do too. They have all the same answers to these questions. And I thought we were like, like, everyone should be studying our family. This is crazy. We all have Asperger's. And then the tester's like, oh, yeah, it's genetic. So if you have a kid with Asperger's, you always have a parent with Asperger's. It's just that it's um, very hard to tell a parent not only does their kid have Autism, but you do too. When the parents been thinking they're normal their whole lives, so um, people don't talk about that that much. But it's totally genetic. And a really interesting thing about it is that um, autism is a mental illness of missed social cues. So you're missing it, so you don't know you're missing it. So if you ask somebody who has Asperger's um, if people think they're weird, a lot of times they'll say no when actually people hate them.
0: So you mentioned you learned about this when your son was two. Do you mind sharing how old you were at that time?
1: I was 37.
0: So you are 37. And so you had so, gone... So yeah, what, but
1: I had already had every everything that was common. So I already almost flunked out of high school. I already didn't graduate from college, even though I had almost straight A's. I already had been hospitalized for an eating disorder. I already had scars all over me from cutting, which is also really common. Just, I had every single possible, like, trademark, this is what Asperger's looks like in a girl, but no one could put it all together because people were so not used to doing that.
0: Yeah, and I really like how you framed um, Asperger's at the beginning because, um, you know, for for those who listen to the bio here, um, you know, you founded four startups, you exited two, um, you're one of, you know, you've been named one of the world's most influential career coaches and you learned that you had Asperger's when you were 37. And so when we look at, you know, just your success quotient, it's quite high, Um and then there's, uh, then but there's this. But that would
1: also make sense. Yeah, it would make sense because I'm functioning like a guy, so I'm not being held back by typical things that women are held back by, like wanting to look pretty or um, like wanting to be socially acceptable, things like that. Like once you look like a guy, you have success like a guy.
0: That's an interesting point. Um, would you care to explain that more for me? Uh,
1: well, you can see that like, uh, like girls, I don't really even know. I mean, I know I function like a guy. I'm trying to think, uh, well, like, like, I don't care that I can tell you that like, I, uh, out, I like tore out all my pubic hair from like the time I was 15 to like 30 which is really common for um, girls with Asperger's. So I don't think, I'm pretty sure like men would talk about their pubic hair all the time, because my kids do, then they're boys and they like love all things about their penis, but girls don't do that. So I think it's like me not functioning like a normal girl that I'll just be on this recording telling you about my pubic hair problem. I think that's the guy thing. Is that true?
0: Um, I've never had a conversation with another guy about pubic hair. And so that hasn't been money. don't my, you
1: talk about your penis? Men talk about their penises all the time. Don't you talk about your penis?
0: Not at this stage in my life. Um, but it right, is but much like, more common. But,
1: uh, but earlier, right? Yeah, it is yeah. much more common yeah. when you're
0: teenagers and, you know, boys. It, it's, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those yeah. things. Boys are
1: yes. more comfortable with it because their penis is out and girls is like hidden. I know this because now I have boys. I understand why this would happen. So, anyway, so that I'll talk about that. I think is um, is me not caring about things that women normally care about. And once women care about things that women care about, then women get put in the oh she's a woman sector of the world, and just uh, women care about different things. So. Women don't, get, women don't get funded for startups because it's a stupid way to live your life. It's like you're a slave to your startup. A startup is a race, and um, women already have a race against their biological clock, so they don't need another race. So normal women would be like, wow, startups are really stupid. I don't want to do that. So not a lot of them try to do one. And, and there's also a really high divorce rate, and women tend to care about divorce rate because it wrecks their kids. So um it's like only women who think like men would go get startup funding. This will be really controversial, but I'm right, whatever. I mean, there are no women who were um prom queen and then founded a startup. There are no women who like had sex when they were fifteen and then did a startup. It just doesn't work like that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, because there's there's definitely the um there's the gender line that we're talking about. There's also the sex line, obviously. You know, we, we all know the difference between gender and sex at this point. Um, and um, there, there is a great degree of socialization that happens. Um, I'm, I'm more intrigued by your point that it's when women accept the certain degrees of socialization, is, is that's when they're constrained by it. I think that's a provocative and interesting point. Well,
1: they, it's, it's not like society puts it on women. Like, right now, society encourages women to do math and science, like we celebrate any girl who can can be two years ahead with the boys, and we we encourage all girls to have careers. So, women are still dropping out of the workforce. Women still score higher in math classes and don't go into math and science, and women still... Um, do better in their careers in their 20s than men do, and still drop out. And that's not socialization. That's just women are women. They like to do women things. They just choose that. Women have choices. They choose to do women things. Yeah, I would, because they're socialized to not do women things. Am I talking about what you're talking about, or am I? I think we're talking.
0: About- we're talking about the same things. My curious oh. point here is that, or or here's the point that I that I've heard made. Um, is that on the one hand, we're a bit schizophrenic about things because on, we tell, you know, girls who want to be good in math and science that it's great to be good in math and science. And they hear that. On the other hand, there's another strain that's telling them that if they're good in math and science, they can't be pretty or acceptable or they're not being girls or things like that. And so it's the mixed messages that creates the double consciousness that creates part of the problems. And it's not just the girl's belief And it's not just society, it's some... Oh, really?
1: I think that's just a crock of crap. I don't believe that at all. I think we bend over backwards to tell girls they can be anything. We bend over backwards to tell girls they can be anything, that they can choose anything, that no one should define them, and the world is open to them. And then what happens is they are 27, and their biological clock happens, and they realize that Actually, the world isn't open to them because nobody can get a career by 30. Like, most men don't even have a career by 30 unless they're, like, really fast out of the gate. So everyone has to be really fast out of the gate to have a career by 30 because then it's over for women. They have to have kids. And when women have kids, more than when men want to have kids, they don't want to put their career first. So the idea, like you can be anything. Girls shouldn't be constrained. Girls can do math and science. Girls can be president. Girls can run companies. They can, but they can't do that with kids. There's never been a president who's the primary caretaker. And there are very few women who have left their children in the care of their husband. And then once their children are grown said that's a very good idea. We have a lot of women who said that's not a good idea. Cheryl Sandberg said that's not a good idea. Marissa Mayer is back raising her kids. Shelly Ogilby said it's a terrible idea. Like we have women all over the place saying they let their husband raise their kids and they hate it. They wish they didn't do it. So, so the I think the idea, I'm so like I know I'm talking too much, but I just have to say it is so messed up that we tell girls they can be anything and do anything and they can run the world because they can't do that and have kids and it's really messed up and it really screws up girls and it screws up girls that they're the best in school. They do way better than boys. And we tell everyone, Oh, if you do well in school, you can do anything. You can have a great career. So, we know that women don't want great careers. They drop out of the workforce to take care of their kids by choice. So it's messed up because we tell girls that they're in school so they can have a great career. That's messed up.
0: Yeah, I see your point. Um, and I think the, the tension that I'm feeling is that we're, we're now in sort of a gender essentialist claim, which is a, by virtue of being a woman, this is what you will want um and no we're
1: saying statistically we're saying statistically the women who have the choice so like women who are really well educated and rich we're saying statistically those women who genuinely can choose either anything choose to stay home with their kids okay so we can only really look at women who can choose anything otherwise it's not a real choice
0: Explain that one a bit more because that that is also a provocative well, point.
1: Well, that's like old data. Like uh, the majority of women who graduate from Harvard Law School, I mean from Harvard Business School, uh, drop out of the workforce to take care of kids. Clearly, they have a choice. Eighty-five um, percent of women who uh, peer research finds that 85 percent of women who have kids. Not want to work full time if given the choice, and um, the New York Times has done three very large studies about um, why women drop out who are very well educated, and it always comes down to they chose it. And the other thing is that the majority of women who work who have kids over um, who have kids grade school age are working because they're the breadwinner, which tells us that. Um, women who have a choice to work aren't at work. It's not like there are tons of women in the workforce who have husbands who also earn money, but the women want to be at work. So statistically, we know that women who have a choice don't want to work instead of taking care of the grade school age kids.
0: Okay. And but we don't
1: tell girls who are in school that because that would really mess things up.
0: Messing up for who? So
1: we're like... For, for the teachers, because the teachers wouldn't be able to control the classroom if the girls weren't always following directions, and the girls follow directions because uh, the girls the girls are told, if you get good grades, you'll have a good career. And the boys don't follow directions. They get much worse grades, much worse SAT scores. Today. So if the girls didn't follow the directions, it would be mayhem because the boys don't follow directions. So... The teachers need the kids to stay in line. The teachers need to be able to say, you need to get good grades or you won't get into college, and if you don't get into college, you won't have a a good life. Because if the kids don't do schoolwork, the teachers are in trouble. And if the teachers are in trouble, then the parents would have to take the kids out of school. If school didn't work, the parents would have to take their kids out of school. And then the parents would have to face the fact that their kids didn't need to be in school anyway, and the parents need to be, like, providing something more stimulating than, like, 17th century school for kids to do all day. But that's like, that would be a national crisis because parents don't want to, be stuck home with their kids all day. So everyone pretends to buy into this idea that you have to do well in school to do well in college to get a good job. But I know your audience doesn't believe that because if your audience is all creative people, like they didn't get good grades in school. Creative people don't do well in school.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure that that's true. I think there are some creative people who are many creative people who learn how to play the school game. Um, and still do well and are still hyper-creative. Um, I think there are some that decide... Well, that's
1: not benefiting them, though, right? Playing a school game would, would take away from their creativity because the school game is thinking in terms of right answers and creative people don't do right answers.
0: I'm not sure that's true. Um, I like think that...
1: who's creative that does the right answer? Like, give me an example.
0: Who's creative that does that does the right answer?
1: Yeah. That someone says to them, there's a right answer and the wrong answer. I want you to get the right answer. And then I'll tell you if you got it. Who, who in life is creative under those circumstances? Like in adult life?
0: No, I think, I think you're right that a creative person would look at that or might look at that and say, okay, um, you know, they can do multiple things saying the answer you want me to say is this. Right, so I'll say that. Um, they might also uh-huh. think of a third alternative. Yeah. There are some two plus two but equals four. Kids who then think al-
1: of a, but hold on. but kids who think of an alternative not only get worse grades, but the teachers subconsciously hate them. There, there's tons of research about that, that, that teachers dislike creative kids and teachers favor cre- kids who, who um, tend to look for a right or wrong answer, which is the majority of I mean, the majority of humanity functions in right and wrong answers.
0: Well, I think that's annoying
1: to a teacher when they get a kid who doesn't do that.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's also true. I mean, to not to not be either or, I think it's also true that creative and intelligent kids figure that out and still understand that there are benefits to um, doing well in school. Um, and decide Really, to do what that. are
1: they? What what is the wait? What's the benefit to doing well in school to a really like a, a very high IQ kid? What's the benefit?
0: Well, if you want to look at it from an intersectional approach, um, people from especially minority minority races in our society, um, it's just the yeah. fact that educational mobility or that education provides uh, provides economic mobility. And so, well, that's uh,
1: true. That if you can go to Harvard, it does. But it's also true that um, we don't have economic mobility through education in our in our country.
0: I think that's false. There
1: isn't any. It, Google it. Google. Uh, like, do we have? Does the U.S. have mobility, economic mobility, in education? One way you can measure it is that the number of minorities, or the percent of minorities who go to Ivy League schools has been going down for the last ten years. And okay. that's out of the that's out of data from a national bestseller called Getting In by a Dartmouth like admissions person. It's like really well known data.
0: Yeah, so I mean the, I think the there's modili- a difference the, here. The
1: economic mobility the economic mobility that the education system could have given is going getting lower and lower and lower.
0: I think that's true, and we can look at sort of general statistics, and we can also look at individual upward mobility for um, high achieving minorities, especially. Um, And though. Right, okay,
1: so that's a good point. So, for really poor kids who have two parents who are not college educated, it's good for them, if they're creative, to ignore it and get the right answers. That's true. But that's also really sad. If you're a poor, creative kid, the only way to get out of that is to stifle your creativity. Meanwhile, rich kids always benefit from ignoring school and continuing to be creative.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, So the
1: idea then, then it's worse. It's even worse that poor kids who are creative need to play the game and rich kids don't. That's even worse, right?
0: Yeah, it's worse. And it's also for people from different backgrounds, also part of the social reality that we live in. So it's worse. It sucks. Right. right? But being I can I can tell you, I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of statistics here. But being the uh, minority kid who gets in trouble because you're not following the rules has far worse outcomes. Um, than being the right. rich, the, the rich kid that, that doesn't follow the rules. And so you, that's, that was my point is that it's not true. Yeah. right? It, it depends upon the adjectives that we put in front of creative people. If you say it doesn't work for well, you know, all creative people, then it's wrong. But but I but think, go ahead.
1: But if we're only talking about poor creative people, like once you start talking about poor people, it's like every rule changes. For example, poor people need to breastfeed, rich people not so much. Poor people need to learn to read in school, rich people do not. Mm -hmm. Poor people need to learn math before sixth grade, rich people do not. So it's like so different. You can't even talk about how to do poor people and how to do rich people in the same. It's totally different what works for both.
0: Yeah, I think it's or totally either. different, and I mean, we're we're looking at an either or scenario here, where there are, there are poor kids, and by the way, um, not all. I'm not saying you said this, but not all minorities or poor kids. So you can be a rich minority and still have similar outcomes based upon the school discipline system um, for being the kid that gets in trouble, right? So they're right. You it's know, all it's,
1: about economics.
0: Right. It's, it's all about all different about things, but. So you know, we'd also want to say what happens for people in the middle that are neither rich, because it given you know given well, our society. They're middle class. Yeah. So uh,
1: they're middle class. They're not living in poverty, so the poverty statistics don't apply to them.
0: Yeah, um, but so neither the do the truth rich is ones that either. Middle
1: class. Well, no, that's not true. So middle class kids, like rich kids, don't need to be taught to read. But what's interesting is that. Um, and this is, I get all this from New York City public schools. I have, like, uh, real, a really good in there. I just have a really good in. And New York City public schools are well aware that um, they don't—they don't, they cater to the poor kids. That's just what they do because rich kids don't need to be taught to read. Rich kids don't need to be taught math, etc. cetera. So um, the rich kid, for the purposes of New York City public schools, is middle class and above. And um, so, but what happens is the, the rich, the really rich people take their kids out of school because school's for poor kids. And then the middle class in New York City, this is just because I know the example so well, the middle class in New York City sees that there are only poor kids left in school and the rich people are gone. So the middle class homeschools because they don't have enough money to go to private school and they don't want their kids being educated like poor kids. So, the um, largest homeschool is growing hugely, and hugely, oh my God, I just sounded like Donald Trump. Um, so, the, the fastest growing sector of um, homeschoolers in New York City are the middle class, because they know that schools for poor kids, and they don't want to send the kids there. And so, to me, that, like, encompasses everything we're talking about, that um Creativity is completely slammed in school, and if you can get your kids out, you do. If your kids can possibly benefit from not being slammed by creativity, you should pull them out, and everyone who can does, because it's so well-established that school doesn't teach creativity, school doesn't foster creativity.
0: I think I can agree with that, right? We know that the
1: Yay, I'm so happy.
0: Yeah, we 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 know that the Prussian school system, the Prussian educational system um, that we we inherited in the 1800s is not it's 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 structured for compliance, not for creativity.
1: Yeah, yeah. And compliance is like for the stupid people. Like we don't really have jobs for compliance anymore.
0: Well, it's not really for I mean, that's not what its intent was. Um and um, I would say that well, it
1: kind the kind of was, no, hold on. It kind of was because the intent was to get the kids out of the factories and people didn't know what to do with the kids. If they were going to get out of the factories, it was very controversial. Like what, what are you going to do? Have them on the street and the parents didn't have enough money to keep them at home. So if, if, the intent of schools was to get kids out of factories and then educate them so they would good factory workers when they were old enough. So school, like the system of sitting in lines, lining up, operating to bells, um, every, everybody doing the same thing at the same time, that's all um, a product of uh, industrialization and the excitement over industrialization.
0: Well, it was also so it a product the of businesses. them wanting leaders and managers at the time that were predictable. And so it had...
1: What? No, that's totally not true. The people who were leaders and managers were educated privately. That's not true at all. It, the whole U.S. education system was because um, people were convinced that kids shouldn't be in factories. It was too dangerous. And so, there was nowhere to put them.
0: So, to be clear, I'm talking about the Prussian educational system. We inherited parts of it, but, but not all we, of it.
1: Right. We brought it over, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that got lost. Right. Um, but, or, and. But we, the
1: only reason we implemented it. we implemented that education system, but the only reason we implemented it was to get kids out of factories.
0: That may be true. Um, I don't know that that's the only reason I think that was an outcome for it.
1: No, that was the motivating factor. The first motivator was to get the kids out of factories, and it was very hard to do. Parents wouldn't do it, and also um, cities didn't want it because they didn't want kids on the street. So school was like, oh, wait, I have an idea. Look what other people do. They put kids in school. And even then it was controversial. because, of it. Yeah, no, it's all about teaching kids, stupid kids to be factory workers.
0: Yeah, well, and I think... And
1: it's really... Um, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, that that explains, again... I mean, history here, um, we also have to consider that a lot of the United States at the time was rural. So a lot of what you're, what you're talking about is based upon um, urban mechanisms for education, which I think when you look at rural areas, it's actually different arguments and different points. Um, so I know...
1: Oh, I love that. I love that you brought that up because I was living in a rural area for 10 years and they still don't send their kids to school. It's crazy. It's like the Wild West. Like, school's just something you send your kids to if there's no work on the farm. Still. And, like, nobody... The schools don't send homework home because they know the kids have to work on the farm. Yeah. There's no homework in rural schools. So, to me, it's like... We didn't even implement schooling in in rural agrarian places.
0: Or we implemented it it for for, for largely different reasons. Yeah. for, for, yeah, largely different reasons. And I would say when you look at different sectors of society, that's where the purpose of education is different. If you're an urban rich kid in New York city, um, then education has a different, um, life, life trigger for you than if you're a poor kid from say Hope, Arkansas. Right. Um, and.
1: Oh, wait, that's so interesting. Why do you think that, um, we implement school and uh, agrarian communities?
0: These days or why we started? Two different questions.
1: Ever. Either.
0: I think these days there is um, enough recognition that um, farm life is not going to be what goes ahead. Like there are fewer, fewer farmers. If you really look at agrarian rural areas, um, it's it's really looking at how do you get jobs. And how you get jobs is through education and technical training. Um, because there are a lot of things that you can't learn to do anymore in a, in our educated society. At least that's the way the myth tells you. Um, but again, that's why I think it's different when you're when you're looking at the the um, reasons why a rich urban elite might or might not send their kids to school, or how that education plays for them, than if you're in different places in the United States. So what I'm interested in is why
1: do middle class educated
0: people send their kid to school? That's what I'm interested in. Why? Um, I don't know. Generationally, I I can tell you because I talk to them, right? But it's a generational thing. So if you're class, first-generation middle class, you probably got there Uh through one of two pathways. Education, or you happened to start your own business, and it was successful, but not in the way that we think about in sort of Silicon Valley successful. You basically created a lifestyle right. for yourself and you created a small business that worked um and so we tend to um teach our kids um the things that made us successful so that gets passed down and so typically um they the the pathway for their kids is to get a white collar job you know a professional g- degree which requires education to get you can't get a law degree unless you go through school unless you're successful in school um and so,
1: so- Why do you think parents, so most people going to college today, most people, most of the middle class today, because we have so little class mobility, have parents who are middle class.
0: That's likely true. They
1: didn't have parents. Yes. So then if you had parents who are middle class and you went to school and most people either love school and then don't like that work isn't like school or they hated school, either way... They would know that school isn't the right thing for training you for
0: adult life. So why are they sending their kids to school? Um, so if it was why successful, if they got their success because they got a degree that enabled them to get a job, that enabled them to then uh-huh. have a good life, then um, it's really a probabilistic thing, right? They're likely, you know, going to recommend their kids do something similar. I mean, I think Penelope, you so and I, we may have sense. a we may have a different risk a different tolerance with risk in the sense that, you know, we started businesses and we're involved in entrepreneurship in that way. Um, We're outliers in a lot of reasons in our current cultural manifestation. Like if we were to look 200 years ago, most people were entrepreneurs in the way that we would define it, but they're not today. Um, And so, so
1: I would say if you send your kids to school, to school where if you're sending your kids into a system where all the rich kids are pulled out, and it's um, inordinately filled with poor kids. So, like, even if you send your kids to a public school, the public schools in our country are national, and they're, they skew toward the largest population, which is poor kids. So it would be, to me, it's, I think it's higher risk to send your kids into that system than to, to not, because you're... Compromising, the biggest benefit you give your kids is they're born to to not impoverished parents. But then you diminish that benefit by sending them into a system that's meant to deal with impoverished kids.
0: That system also, though, puts people through college, grants degrees, those degrees grant jobs, so on and so forth. So it's a it's a reliable system, even if we don't like the outcome.
1: Okay, here's an awesome statistic. Stanford has a 4% acceptance rate, but a 26% acceptance rate for homeschoolers. Okay. Isn't that so interesting? It's interesting up when you start assessing what's, a, what's taking a risk and what isn't.
0: I agree with you on that one, right? And so there's the four people who have done the research and four people who feel and or believe they have the means to homeschool their kids. Um, then it would make homeschooling your kids and going an alternative educational path the more logical choice. Um, that's a lot, yeah. that's a lot of nested if thins for a lot of people. Um, and I'm, you know, Penelope on this score, I'm not a parent, so I haven't done that research as if I were making that choice for my kids. Um, so I don't know what right. what choice I would actually make, and that's just in full honesty there. Um, but what people report to me about this is is more what I'm what I'm telling you this this is why they're choosing um, I'm I'm the board chair for an alternative college right and so when we're talking to parents oh you are yes um, for the Wayfinding Academy here in Portland Oregon so we basically um, it's a four real school it's two years they walk away with an with an associate's de- with an associate's degree in self and society and our whole point is to help them Figure out who they are and what their next and best choice is in life, which may not be going on and getting a bachelor's and so on and so forth. It might be going into industry or trade. But, anyways, um, I know when I'm when we're talking to parents about some of their concerns, they're 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 saying these same things that I'm telling you. It's like, well, how is my kid? How huh. is going to help my kid get a job, right? Like, if they go there, then like they they can't go to these other schools. And so, what I'm telling you is what we're hearing on this side of things. Right, um, and so yeah, I, I again, I think if someone comes from the means where basically you can um, either afford Harvard because you have the wealth to do so, or you can, you know, afford the loans and everything to go there or Ivy League schools. I think that's a certain si- type of choice for a relatively small amount of people in the United States. Um, when you start,
1: Wait. hold on, hold on.
0: It's a tr- a small no, 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 schooling? no. I'm talking what? about Harvard. I'm talking about Ivy League schools and things like that. What I'm saying is if we're looking at certain educational choices, we're going to have to slice those by context.
1: Um, wait, why is Harvard not available to a lot of kids? I'm lost. Tell me that.
0: So... The idea, a lot of people don't know about Harvard's and the Ivy League's um, initiatives to get um, poor kids and people from alternative backgrounds, right? Um, But the idea is that there's there's a certain amount of wealth that you have to have to be able to qualify to get in there, um, or you have to take loans. Again, part of this is misinformation. Oh,
1: that's what people here. Yes. People think
0: that. I get it. Right. And so
1: I feel like we should be, we should be spreading better information because you have the community of people that is most able to, um, get their head around it.
0: Oh, I agree with you on that one. Right. Um, yeah. no, I, there, there's no disagreement there. Um, the disagreement is, um, or the, 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 what I was disagreeing to earlier was that people know this and they're making these decisions for based upon the data that's available that, that we're talking about as opposed to why they make the choices that they make, at least why they're reporting the choices that they make.
1: Right. And so I'm, I'm with
0: you that I am skeptical about the degree to which, um, the traditional educational pathway sets people up for life. Um, even though I've been a a huge beneficiary of it, um, of course, the counterfactual of what might I have done had I not gone to school is one of those never known. you know, and I like we can't know what right. what might have happened yeah. for me had I chose an alternative path. Um, the path that I chose worked really well for me. But again, I'm not representative of a whole. Um, just like there are plenty of people that that do different things. And so um, when it comes to this, I think what we can say what we can agree on is that, um, the traditional educational system in the way that we're talking about, does not do a good job of cultivating creativity as much as compliance and predictability and regularity um in the set of students that it that it's educating. Can we agree on that? Yeah, yeah,
1: okay. yeah, uh, but I think everyone agrees on that. Don't you think everyone agrees on
0: that? I don't think so. Um, really, yeah.
1: I just can't even, like, get – I can't even – no patience for those people. Yeah, I mean – I can't. I don't even know what to say if they don't agree on that.
0: Well, I think there are different ways people think about creativity, right? And so when you think about where one might find um, really hyper-creative idea bombers, like, I think more people will think that they would end up in some sort of college setting than in, you know – out in the street with with a business that they have, or a creative agency, or anything like that, because I think, um, it's it's becoming more known, which I like, um, but I still think it's the world of entrepreneurship and what's available in small business and what's available off this sort of beaten path is not nearly as well known for a lot of people. So they don't choose, and they don't choose that path. Yeah. So they don't know about that path, and so. Their 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 views are really bound upon well what it's like to go to school get a job and work in industry because that's that's what right or
1: else they have an they have a Silicon Valley idea of what it is to start a company and that it's like very all or nothing
0: precisely precisely and so there there are these ranges in between to where we know that like plenty of really brilliant creative compassionate smart you know, driven people find a way to make it work. um, And it suits them really, really well. Um, There's just not, that's not what we see on the cover of ink. Nor do we read a lot about that in the books and in the movies and things like that. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but I can't help going back because I'm obsessed with blaming parents for not taking their kids out of school. So I can't help going back to, all the creative parents who send their kids to school. They perpetrate that. There are just a huge swath of creative parents who send their kids to school because they have this perception that they can't do their creative thing unless their kids are in school all day. Messed up.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's a lot to consider on that. And, you know, um, I don't know why, why they do that. Um, I, I think part of it, well, I think part of it may be misunderstanding of different things. And I also think people want people a lot of times will choose safety, even if it doesn't lead to the best yeah. outcomes. Um, and so when it comes well, to, and also it, it's, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well,
1: when it comes to, I think it's also free babysitting. It's like social, a socially acceptable way to get free babysitting or it's like, Putting your kids in front of the TV is not socially acceptable. So it's hard to say no. Like, if you want to paint all day, it's really hard to make a living doing that. It's going to be way harder if your kid's at home also being creative. So it's socially acceptable to say you're a painter and you send your kids to
0: school. Even though it's messed up. Yeah. Maybe that's true. Um, Maybe. I mean... maybe
1: why is it maybe why isn't it like yeah you're right
0: because i know enough parents who are creative that are not that have not honestly said i'm sending my kids to school just because i want free babysitting um
1: why do they but if they're creative and they want to be creative all day why would they send their kid to school why would not their kid want to be creative all day
0: because not everyone wants to be a painter or a writer. But
1: everyone wants to be cre- everyone wants to be creative. It's like the natural human condition to be creative in some capacity.
0: Yeah, I think there are different ways we can be creative though. I don't think it's just staying at home painting or writing. I think people find creative ways to be w- within careers as well.
1: Totally. I, I mean agree, some of the most creative people no I know are military officers. And, but there's that no, it's fundamentally not creative. To be told to go to school with no choice, to be told what to think about, to be told when to go to the bathroom, to get up and down for bells, that is fundamentally not creative. So it's true, you could be creative in any way you choose to be creative. Like to, to create your own life is fundamentally creative. Like to get up and decide what you do every day is a fundamentally creative act. But we take that away from kids. So only the creative parents get to be defun- get to exercise their fundamentally creative muscle, while their kids don't get to do that because they're in school. Why is that okay? That should not be socially acceptable.
0: So I haven't again. I don't have kids, and so I haven't looked into the day-to-day of homeschooling homeschooling a child. Um, and so I don't know to what degree. Um, that impacts one's sort of ability to earn what they need to earn and so on and so forth. So I'm, I'm going to admit ignorance on that one, Penelope. I
1: know it's so hard. It's so hard to like call out every single parent in the whole world as a bad parent and destroying their kids. I know it's like not a, a palatable thing to do.
0: Well, I, it's not that it's just not palatable. (laughs) I think it's, I think it's not something that works to the degree that it works for other people. Like I don't think everyone has that same choice um and so what
1: do you mean? To, to have their kid be at home true yes well it's free because you don't need to live in a good school system so your housing costs just go down by half and you don't want that then you're in the middle class arena so you don't have to teach your kid to read you don't have to teach math until seventh grade You don't, all you have to do is have your kids get a good SAT score. You're done.
0: Yeah. So were we to index it and say for, yeah, for middle-class parents who have a primary breadwinner, um, you know, that they should be homeschooling their kids. I would be, I personally would might say, okay, maybe that's a more compelling case. Um, that would
1: be a really big start, right? If we just said that, that would be huge.
0: Yeah, but it would be a yeah. riot
1: if that were on the New York Times like <laughs> front page.
0: Yeah. And so, but to say creative parents, which come in all sorts of slices and economic backgrounds and lived realities, should be doing one certain thing, that's where I personally get really, um, I'm like, mm, I don't know. I'm, I can't get behind that because I know that's not going to be a fit for a lot of people well, for different all, reasons.
1: But all parents who are creative, have to have a breadwinner. Someone has to put food on the table for the kids, Right? So they all fall under your category of middle-class parents who are the breadwinner should homeschool their kids.
0: No, I don't think that all creative people have a breadwinning partner. I don't think all creative people have a career being creative.
1: Well, how do they put food on the table for their kids?
0: Probably because they have a job that lets them do... Yeah.
1: So, they're, they're a breadwinner, right? Whoever has the job that puts food on the table is the breadwinner.
0: Yeah, a lot of people in our society, though, have to have two breadwinners. Like,
1: I don't believe that. They only have to have two breadwinners to live in a good school district. I lived in rural America. It's like free. That's how cheap it is. Like, you can work three hours a day at McDonald's and own a house. I'm not kidding. So cheap. So then it becomes parents think it's more important to um, live in a place that they think is cool and interesting than it is to get their kids out of school. So their kids don't benefit from living in, say, Boston, because they're in school all day, and they're doing homework after school, and their parents aren't even home because they're working to support living in Boston when they could just go live in very western Massachusetts where no one lives and it's practically free and then um, everyone could benefit from where they live instead of just the parents. It's just no. Okay, let's circle back to Asperger's <laughs> because uh, one way to tell one yeah. way to tell if someone has Asperger's is if they cannot let up. Like, it is so hard for me to let up. It's like I have a, um, like I'm Tourette's.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: My friends say that I'm like Tourette's, that I don't shut up. Like, they'll say, will you please shut up? We don't want to hear about homeschooling. And I, like, so I'm shutting up now.
0: Yeah, no, no, you don't have to shut up. And and to be, um, what I'll say is I... Um, I have um, had the wonderful experience of working with women with Aspergers before, um, and so this is mm-hmm. not this is not my my first conversation along along that, and so, um, oh. and so yeah, it, it's um, and so I I haven't taken that personally or anything like that because I know that's that's part of the experience, right? Where you really really believe in something, um, you have the data to back it up. Um, and you, you know, um, and that it's a very clear sort of two plus two equals four to you, right? Yeah.
1: Is this conversation similar to what it was like talking to other women with Asperger's? Um. Yes. That's um, interesting. Yes.
0: That makes me happy. Yeah. Um. But I think there's also. Um, you know what what I would what I would say is there's also when it comes to um, why people do what they do and the social pressures people face and things like that that may be something that mm-hmm. um, you might be way less sensitive to so that it doesn't have any motivational or decisional force for you um, and that's sort of the gift oh, no. of Aspergers, right? Um, that's the gift of Asperger's for you. I'm
1: like blind to that.
0: Yeah, that you're blind to it, to where if you didn't have Asperger, some of these things that we've talked about around the social pressures and all those kind of whatnots and, you know, having, you know, having friends that look at you when you're homeschooling your kids and like, really, you're homeschooling your kids? You're going to have those kids, right? That type of peer pressure you might not feel the motivation yeah. for. And so when it comes that's to true. the choices that you've made around that – Um, They seem very clear to you, whereas someone else, it would not at all be clear.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true. You're right. Also, like, I really want you to like me because I like you, but I can't, like, um, remember all the things that I'm supposed to do to get you to like me. Like, I was trying to remember in the conversation to do likable things, but I couldn't remember them So, like, you do want. And so I think that's kind of another example where... I'm just, I just don't even notice when people hate me because I won't shut up about something. Yeah. Because um, I, I want them to like me. So I think, oh, well, they
0: probably do because I want them to. No. And so, I mean, and, and we're still on air here. And I think this is useful for people because they're going to, they're going to, whether or not they believe it, right. Going to run into because, because of underdiagnosed and things like that. They're going to run into different people. Right. And so the whole time that I'm talking to you and you're like, why do people do that? I'm I'm answering that question differently. Right? Because I know that you're looking for facts and you're looking for evidence. Uh, oh, that's
1: so true.
0: More so than just like, you know, the way I might answer someone else who I know is accusing people of something, right, in a certain way. I'm like, no, no, no. She's looking for evidence. She's actually trying to, she legitimately trying to understand this because it doesn't make any sense to her, right? So, how might I explain it in a way that makes it make, a, make, make logical sense, like evidence and data points? Um, as opposed to, like, wow, she's just being really obstinate about this.
1: Oh, yeah, you're right. That was so nice of you. That was really nice of you. Because you're right, people just think I'm a jerk. That's true. And I, that's really hard, that people think I'm a jerk.
0: Yeah. It well, I don't think you're a jerk, Penelope. Because I
1: want to have friends. Well, that was, it's really nice of you. Thank you. And I feel like you did a public service by um, – because uh, you know that I don't mean to be a jerk. Yeah, I want to almost cry. This is what's so, so frustrating about having Asperger's, is like wanting to get along with people and doing it all wrong. But like, if you gave me another chance at this, I would do it the same. It's so frustrating how lonely that is.
0: I can, yeah, I can only imagine, and I hate that that's the way that it is for you. Honestly, like, well, I, 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 what, nice. I, what I imagine is like, if I really, really like, if I knew in my core that two plus two equals four and everyone around me kept saying two plus two equals five or something like that, that just seems so super clear. And that uh-huh. I can never actually in integrity say two plus two equals five because it's just wrong. Like how frustrating that experience would be. And maybe that's oversimplistic Penelope. Um, No,
1: that's a great example, because I think you would start being like, okay, fine, it's five, because you're not getting anywhere saying it's four. Yeah. So, it's a a fundamentally good social skill to be like, fine, we'll just all agree that it's five, let's move on.
0: Yeah. And maybe, I mean, sort of to tie back into the conversation, I think maybe some people have that point about education, that we know that it's a certain way, (laughs) but... You know, it's hard to to look at it in a different way. It's hard to accept, and it's hard to go through these different sort of difficult points. You know, and so unfortunately, right. we agree to keep playing the game the same, even though we know that the game is really messed up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah that that's that's where my sort of empathy comes in for for people who who are making decisions differently than I might make. Is like there might be different social pressures. There might be different ways in which they understand the world. Um, and it's not that they're necessarily right or I'm right. It's just, it's, it's, we come to this irreconcilable, irreconcilable point where it's like, we can't be in a, in a healthy relationship that's fun for most of us. If we keep, um, going through like the two plus two equals five thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was such a
1: great lesson. I want to like get this recording and play it for my kids. Because I'd never be a credible person telling him that. You know, I won't shut up about anything. But they're making it so understandable to someone with Asperger's. Just a great, great lesson. It's a great way to say it. Uh,
0: well, I appreciate that. That it's helpful on that front. Um, you know, and I, I know there. Are, I, I hope that this is one of many of our conversations, Penelope. Like I said, I've been following you for quite a while. I haven't experienced you in this way, and I'm happy to have done so. Um, <laughs> but as the as the guest for today's show, um, you get to leave our listeners with an invitation or a challenge. An invitation or a challenge. Oh,
1: well, I want them to read my blog. That's like all I do in my life. So everyone should come read my blog and then... Um, talk to me in the comments, because it's the only way I know how to talk to people and have relationships. So you should do that. It'll be really fun and way better on my blog and in person.
0: <laughs> um,
1: There's my invitation.
0: Okay. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining me today, Penelope. And um, for readers, listening in. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation. Um, and there is a lot, um, to unpack here and I hope you'll take the time to do so. And if you want to continue the conversation with Penelope, go ahead and jump over to our blog. I'll link in the show notes and until next time, stand tall.